All right. You ready to study the Word here this morning? All right, get your Bibles out. Um, We've been doing a series around here that we've been calling Living in Exile. We've been going through the book of Daniel. This morning we are finishing up that series, and we're going to be going through actually the last six chapters of Daniel, which is a pretty big bite to take off here for one 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 service, but you'll see how I'm going to do it in just a little bit. But if you miss any of these services, let me try to get you caught up with what's been going on in the book, because we here in the U.S., we're living in this brand new cultural moment. Culture around us is tra- changing so quickly and so drastically around us, and it's the, the ground beneath our feet in a spiritual sense has radically shifted in our generation. Over the past two to three decades, um, sociologists describe that we no longer here in the United States live in a Christian culture. We live in what they call a post-Christian culture. Now, does it mean that there are no longer Christians in America? It doesn't mean that the church is irrelevant or no longer exists in America, but what they mean when they say a post-Christian culture is that the secularization of the Western culture as a whole is now almost complete. And so what took place really in the academic world several decades ago has now moved into the popular world as well. And so now for the average 13-year-old who's grown up on Star Wars and Xbox and Pokemon Go, that 13-year-old can go through his entire life without even the idea of God because nowhere in culture is culture helping us be able to ask the question, is God real? Does God exist? How is God in my life? Because of what's happening in our culture, we don't have those cultural helps anymore, which means if you're a Christian, you're now in the minority here in the United States. For the very first time in American history, if you're a Christian, you're now in the minority. And so the question we've been talking about throughout this series is then how do we do this? As Christians, how do we live in a post-Christian world? How do we stay godly when it seems like everybody around us is, has, has gone ungodly? This is a, question, question, a, a new question for most of us, but it's, it's a question that people throughout history and all over the world have actually had to answer before us. And the book of Daniel, I think, is just a great book that helps us learn how do we do this? How do we live in exile when the dominant culture around us is different than what your core beliefs are? How do you live in exile? How do you live as a creative minority? And the reason why it's such a great book is because in 605 BC, Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king of Babylon, he invaded and besieged the city of Jerusalem and the nation of Israel. Um, Jehoiakim was the king of, of Judah, and he immediately changed his allegiances to, to Nebuchadnezzar in an attempt to try to save the city of Jerusalem. And in part of that agreement, he agreed to pay tribute from Jerusalem's treasury. As well, he had to hand over people that were of the nobility and of the, of the royal family as hostages. Daniel was one of those hostages. He was about 16 years old. And I was thinking about that as we were praying for the Bourbon family here this morning. What it was, what his parents, what Daniel's parents must have been like to raise him up that by the age of 16, that, his, that their son could be taken hostage and exiled in this foreign, hostile, evil country. Can you imagine that as parents? I have a 16-year-old right now, and I can't imagine that my son being exiled that way. Well, this is exactly what happened with Daniel. He immediately was put into this very dramatic and fierce three-year brainwashing program with the intent of trying to wash away all past culture and family beliefs and spiritual beliefs. 
But the interesting thing when you go through the book of Daniel was, is that not only did Daniel survive this, but he actually thrived in this hostile and evil culture. And he created this whole new way of living as, as an exile in this very evil culture that allowed himself to continue to hold true to his beliefs. And as a result, even over, as we talked over the past um, several weeks through chapters one through six, he was able to win this battle for his identity and not just follow through with what culture was doing as they're going further and further away from God. He was able to do this in spite of death threats, in spite of these fiery furnaces, in spite of the lions, its lions in, he was able to stay true to his beliefs. And as a result, he was able to influence an entire empire as well, the kings who were in charge of these empires. This morning, we're going to look at the second half of the book of Daniel. It really shifts. The first half is all very historical. The second half, this is chapter 7 through 12, are about these dreams and these visions that God gives Daniel about the future. Now, where we're going to start this morning is actually not in the book of Daniel. We're actually going to start in the book of Matthew because Jesus validates Daniel's prophecies as being true. And not only being true, but many of Daniel's prophecies are things that are still yet to come. So look at this in Matthew chapter 24, verse 3. It says, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now, most of us, we all want to know the when, right? We want to know when this is going to happen, when these future things are going to happen. When's the end time? When, are, when is Jesus coming back? I mean, 2012 was the whole, all these prophecies that were coming out in the secular way. And 2000 and, and, and um, 88 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 1988. People want to know the when, and they're constantly trying to guess at the when. But Jesus himself said that nobody knows the day or the hour when he will return. He doesn't even know that. Only God the Father knows the time. And so this question of when really is not a really good question because we're not going to know that question, the answer to that question. But the better question is the second one, which is what will be the signs of Jesus' coming back and the end of the age? Well, Jesus goes on here in these verses and he begins to give a whole list of different signs that will occur leading up to his return and the end of the age. Now, I think it's important for me to tell you that every generation has thought that they were the generation. Throughout history, you look at even in the Bible, the very first disciples thought that Jesus was coming right, right back. <laughs> they didn't expect that they were going to live and die. They expected that Jesus was going to come back immediately. So every generation since Jesus left, they thought that they were going to be the generation. And the reason is because many of these signs were taking place in every one of these generations. But in no generation has all of these signs taken place at the same time until now. We are the very first generation that all of these signs that Jesus talks about and all the prophecies about the end times and Jesus' return, that all of these signs are taking place in our generation right now, which makes this generation, the times in which we live in, a little bit interesting here. So jump down to verse 12. Jesus said, because of the increase of wickedness. And so Jesus, in addition to all these signs in those previous verses, verses 4 through 11, you can read those for yourself. But in addition to those signs, he says that in the, one of the signs at the end times is that there will be this increase of horrible moral decay. 
And when I think just in terms of my life and just thinking of the slide that has happened just in my life, you see this true. The increase of this horrible moral decay is just running rampant throughout our culture. But the, the, the most disheartening part is the second part of this verse, because the increase of, of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. See, Jesus was saying that there's going to be a whole generation of people who were loyal to him, who were followers of him, but they'll get enamored with culture. They'll get enamored with wickedness to the extreme and to the point that they'll begin to describe this wickedness as good. Evil becomes good. Black becomes white. That they reverse this whole thing. That's how, how deceptive it becomes in people's hearts. But verse 13, let's look what Jesus says. He says, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Let me just say, stand firm. In the midst of culture that's rapidly shifting around your feet, where everything kind of feels like quicksand and there feels like there's traps, every, just stand firm, stay consistent, stay steady here. In the midst of all these changes, be like Daniel. Don't give into the culture and where culture is taken that's leading away from God. Just stand firm. Verse 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. If you're taking notes, underline the word nations. That word nations in the original Greek language is the word eth ethnos. So it's not in reference to these geographically formed nations that we tend to think about when we hear the word nations. It's actually talking about these people groups that are within these nations. And Jesus was describing that when these eth all these ethno groups have a gospel witness in them, then he says, that's when the end will come. You and I, we're a part of the very first generation where this is now possible. For the very first time in history, because of technology, we can take the gospel everywhere. Everybody who has smartphones, you can take your smartphone anywhere in the world and bring a Bible school to that people group. Where before, it took years and years and years to build up and raise up people who could go into that culture and teach people the word of God. When it was hard for people's languages to understand, be able to translate things. Languages are being sped up in translations a lot because of technology. It's increasing. We are the first generation where this is now a possibility where every people group in the world can have a gospel witness in it. And part of your giving, I think it's important for you to know, part when you give here, part of your giving goes specifically and directly towards this effort. And then Jesus Christ, this last sign, verse 15. So when you see standing in the holy place... The abomination that causes desolation spoken through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. And so Jesus is saying, these things that Daniel saw, these things are signs of these end times. And he says, when you see, the, when you see standing in the holy place, that holy place he's talking about is Jerusalem. The, when you see the, standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation. This is something we'll talk about in just a little bit that Daniel saw in his vision. And Jesus is reaffirming this, that when you see the abomination of desolations is when, when in the middle of the seven years of tribulation, the Antichrist will stand in that temple there in Jerusalem, basically declare that he is God, build this image or statue of himself and demand that the whole world worships him. Jesus says, when you see that, exactly how Daniel described, when you see that, and he said, let the reader understand. Now, let me just say that it's hard for the reader to understand. 
I mean, you read these last six chapters in Daniel, chapter 7 through 12. You read the book of Revelation. It's complicated. It's, it's, it is difficult to understand. And part of it is you need to understand that Jesus, God, intentionally made it so. Actually, it's written in Scripture over and over that he would hide these things until the appropriate time. Previous generations have had a hard time understanding a lot of these prophecies because how can you understand what we're experiencing in our generation? The technology that's increasing. It's, they would, previous generations, it would have been impossible for them to understand. And so we're being able to see more and more things as we get closer and closer. So this morning, what I want to try to do, I want to try to simplify as much as I can about these, these prophecies or these visions and dreams that Daniel saw about the future. I also want to kind of jump into the book of Revelation because Daniel's, what Daniel saw is actually in the book of Revelation as well. Now, let me just make a side point comment here because everything that we're talking about here this morning, as soon as we start talking about the end times and, and all these things about the future and, and about what the book of Revelation talks about, what Daniel saw in these visions, you need to understand that everything that I can say about this is going to be interpretation and deductions of Scripture. In other words, there's so many things that are not exactly black and white. The absolutes or the black and white of Scripture is that Jesus is returning and you better be ready. Amen. So that's, that's what we know is absolute. When we start talking about all these details and things, we're going to get into a variety of interpretations, and you're obviously going to hear me say a bunch of things. But you need to know there's a variety of interpretations about these end times events. Now, there's one place in the book of Daniel. Is everybody with me? You're, you're all good so far? All right, turn to your neighbor, look at your neighbor. Okay, make sure your neighbor's still say, All right, so buckle up. Tell your neighbor, buckle up. Okay, here we go. We're going we're, we're to dive into this, all right? All right, let's look at the book of Daniel. Because there's one place in the book of Daniel where Daniel, he summarizes all of these visions that he had about the future. And the way he explains it is kind of in this crazy way of numbers. He uses this numbers of 77s. Daniel 9, verse 24. Seventy-sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. Now that word sevens literally means periods of seven. And here specifically, we know when he's referring to these sevens, that he's referring to years. So he's saying 77 years. In other words, 490 years. So what, what, what Daniel saw was this expanse of 490 years, and he breaks them down into three segments of sevens. Look at verse 25. Know and understand this. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. After 62 sevens, the anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. And so Daniel, he sees these periods of 77s. And he says, the moment these, these, these years begin, here's how it's going to play out. First, Daniel says there will be seven sevens. And during these seven sevens, he describes that during this time that the city of Jerusalem will be restored and rebuilt, even though it will be rebuilt in times of trouble. 
Now, at this point in Daniel's life, he has no idea that this is going to happen in the future. He has no idea that they're going to be able to return to Jerusalem, that the city is going to be restored, and that the temple is going to be restored. All he does is he sees this vision of this happening and that it will be built in these seven, in, in these seven sevens. And if you read the book of Nehemiah and the book of Ezra, you actually will see how this is a historical kind of how it actually did happen, just as Daniel described here. And Daniel says it will all be done in seven sevens, in other words, 49 years. And guess how long it took for them to rebuild Jerusalem? It took them 49 years. Daniel saw it. He saw this was going to take place. And he said it's going to happen in seven sevens or 49 years, and that's exactly then what happened. Then Daniel saw these 62 sevens from the point that Jerusalem was rebuilt until the point that, and this is what he says, the anointed one, the ruler, comes and is put to death. Now notice that the anointed one is capitalized. And the reason why it's capitalized because Daniel, he sees Jesus. He sees the Messiah coming, and he sees Jesus put to death. And Daniel says that all this will be done in 62 sevens, in other words, 434 years. And guess how many years it was from the time Jerusalem was rebuilt until the time that Jesus died on the cross? 434 years. Daniel saw it. He saw these things that were taking place in the future. And actually, if you read through his dreams, he sees the rise and falls of the kingdoms leading up to the time of Jesus. He sees Alexander the Great. He sees the Roman, he sees the Roman Empire um, coming then to earth. Verse 26, the people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. And so Daniel sees that after the anointed one comes and is put to death, that the temple is once again destroyed. This temple that they had rebuilt is then once again restored. He sees this, and in AD 70, the Romans, who were the rulers at the time of Jesus, they come in, and they take over, and they destroy the temple once again. Now, if you're doing your math, please try to help follow me along here, because seven sevens plus 62 sevens equals 60, that wasn't a trick question at all. Seven sevens plus 62 sevens equals 69 sevens. So Daniel describes these 69 sevens, and these 69 sevens have already occurred. They've, they've already occurred um, before all of us, but there's still one more seven to occur. Remember, he saw 70 sevens. So 69 of those sevens have already occurred. You guys are looking at me like a cow at a new gate, I'm telling you. Are you with me? <laughs> <laughs> your, your, your eyes are really interesting here this morning. <laughs> so he saw, he saw in these visions 70 sevens. 69 of those sevens have already occurred. They're already part of our history. So there's one more seven that's still to occur. Look at verse 26. It says, The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end, and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. And so here, Daniel begins to describe this last seven, this missing seven. And Daniel says, he will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. Now, who is this he that Daniel's talking about who will make this covenant? 
It's the same he that Jesus talked in Matthew chapter 24, this Antichrist. And this Antichrist will make a covenant with Israel. In other words, in our language, he'll make this peace, a peace treaty with Israel and the rest of the world. And the Israelites will want it because they want to again rebuild the temple and restore the, the, the animal sacrifices that were all a part of the Old Testament. They're going to want to restore that whole issue of atonement, the whole issue of blood covering. They want to do that, which they have not had for all of these centuries. And then Daniel goes on and describes this missing seven. Verse 27, in the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. And so just like Jesus said that in the middle of this last seven, so three and a half years into this last seven, the Antichrist will put an end to all these blood sacrifices that are being done in this new temple that's built in Jerusalem. And the Antichrist will set up this image or the statue of himself and demand that the entire world worship him. It's the abomination of desolation. Daniel's describing here in these last six chapters, these 77s are 490 years. 483 of those years have already occurred. They're already done. 69 of these 70s are already part of history. But there's still seven, seven more years of Daniel's prophecy that are yet to be fulfilled. And not only does Daniel talk about these seven, but we just look, Jesus talked about these seven as well. The Apostle Paul talked about these seven. The Apostle Peter talked about these seven. And the vast majority of the book of Revelation talks about these last seven years. And so I want you to jump to the book of Revelation because I, I, I want to show you where these last seven that Daniel talks about, where they're inserted in kind of the timeline of the book of Revelation gives for us. There are 10 events that you can find in the book of Revelation. And the first event is what's called the church age. The church age. This is what you and I are in right now. You can read about in Revelations chapter 2 through cha chapter 3. And in these verses, Jesus gives us seven warnings. There are seven things that we, the church, should be focused on while we're waiting for these last seven to begin. These are warnings to you. These are warnings to me. These seven warnings, we need to pay attention. The second event is what's called the rapture. The rapture. And the idea of the rapture is where God takes the true believers in Jesus Christ out of the earth. Now, we get into now a lot of different interpretations of this. Because there's some people that don't even believe the rapture is going to take place. And then those who do believe the rapture is going to take place, they disagree on when it's going to happen. They use terminology like it's going to happen pre-trib, like before the tribulation starts, or mid-trib, in the middle of the tribulation, the abomination of desolation, or post-trib, after the tribulation is done. And then there's some people just are, are just pan-trib, where they think it's all just going to pan out in the end. So there's lots of interpretations on this whole issue of the rapture. I tend to believe that there's going to be a rapture. And one of the reasons why is because in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, it's the last time in the book of Revelation that the church is mentioned. All the way up to that point, the whole book of Revelation, those first three chapters are about the church, the church, the church, the church. Then after you get to Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, the church is no longer talked about in the book of Revelation. 
I tend to think that that's because the church will no longer be here. The rapture has taken place. But whether you believe that or not believe that, it really doesn't make any difference because the conclusions are going to be exactly the same. We'll get to those in just a little bit. The third event in the book of Revelation is what's called the rise of the Antichrist. The rise of the Antichrist. And this is what Daniel saw in his visions and his dream. Daniel saw this king. He saw this leader who's going to be full of charisma. He's got it. People are going to be enamored by everything that he does and everything he says. And, and I want to just put a little thought in your head just a little bit. Because after going through these elections and watching our world cycle happen, can you see how people are longing for a leader that they can get behind? You see it? I just think it's going to increase, and he's going to rise in power, and people are going to be enamored by this, by him and everything he does and everything that he says, and he'll be the one who's able to broker this deal between Israel and the rest of the world. Eventually, though, he's going to start showing his true colors, and he'll require everyone to take on what's called the mark of the beast. If you want to buy or sell anything, you have to have this mark. But when the Antichrist signs this deal with Israel, that starts the fourth event. And let me just say, if we're still here, when that treaty is signed, then buckle your belt because it's going to get pretty intense around here. The fourth event is what Revelation talks as the tribulation, the tribulation. And this is the last of the sevens that Daniel saw. This is the missing seven. The vast majority of the entire book of Revelations, chapter 6 through 19, are all about these last seven years. And these last seven years are going to be really, really difficult. And then after those seven years, it's going to end with the fifth event. And the fifth event is the second coming of Christ. This is when Jesus returns to the earth. Now, I've always kind of had this picture in my head when I think of, about Jesus and God the Father right now as we're kind of waiting in time for all this. I just kind of picture them in my head that Jesus is sitting beside God the Father and he's asking, can I go now? Can I go now? Can I go get them now? Come on, let's, 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 let me go get them now. I, I kind of see this anticipation on Jesus wanting to come, wanting to be with us. And in John chapter 14, verse 1, Jesus said, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My, my Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Jesus fiercely wants to be with us. He wants to be with you. It is the passion of his, of his, heart, his heart, and he's preparing a place for us. But in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says, The Lord's not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. In other words, God's not slow in, in sending Jesus to us as he promised. Some of us think, what, what are you waiting for, God? Come on, let's go ahead and move on with this. What, what's, what's the big deal here? Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And so this picture that I have of Jesus and God having this dialogue where Jesus is saying, come on, come on, God, can I, can I go now? Can I go get them now? I can just kind of picture God saying, okay, now, wait, 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 no, 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 don't, don't go, go, don't go yet, because there's, there's, there's one more. There's one more who's repenting. See, the only thing that's holding Jesus from coming back to be with us is the love that God the Father has for you, for that one more who's just that close to repentance. 
He'll just, just, just wait, wait, wait. There's one more that's coming. That's what holds Jesus back is the love of God for us. Then the sixth event that will take place is called the marriage supper of the Lamb. The marriage supper of the Lamb. And so when Jesus returns in his second coming, there's going to be the quickest battle in history between Jesus and Satan. And in the quickest battle ever in history, Jesus is going to send Satan to the bottomless pit of hell. That means he's no longer around. So it's now time to have the greatest party ever. And that's what he describes. This is what's, what's going to take place. So many people have this weird thinking about eternity and God and heaven and all those types of things. All they can picture is, oh, I don't know if I really want to go to heaven because I'm going to have to sing in the choir with a harp. <laughs> Let me just say that God's not going to make you into this chubby naked baby with wings. That's not what eternity is about. That's not what heaven is about at all. When Jesus returns, there's going to be the greatest party ever. We're going to be able to party for all, all this time. Jesus is finally going to be reunited with us. And then the seventh event that will take place is called the millennium. The millennium. And the millennium is the thousand years of Jesus reigning, not in heaven, but here on earth. Now catch this. Jesus comes and Jesus reigns. And notice, Satan's gone can you think what life is going to be like without Satan, without his demons being around here? No temptation, no crime, no murder. Can, can, you, can you imagine what life is going to be like? Highway 71, nobody's going to be driving in the left lane going 50 miles an hour. And Krispy Kreme, the Krispy Kreme light is going to be on 24-7. You know? I mean, this is going to be wonderful. This is going to be amazing. When Jesus returns, this party that's going to happen in this millennium where he rules and Satan is nowhere. This is what's going to happen then and then in the millennium. It's going to be absolutely amazing. And then the eighth event that takes place is the last rebellion. The last rebellion. Now, to be honest, I don't think I fully understand this one. I'm just trying to report what the Bible says. But the Bible describes that Jesus is going to let Satan out. I don't get it. I don't understand it. But that's what the Bible says. He's going to let Satan out for a very short period of time to test the earth. Now, scholars believe that the reason why this is going to happen is because the people that are born in the millennium need to have the choice of whether to accept or reject Jesus. And so he's going to, Satan's going to be released for a short period of time to test the earth, and then once and for all, it's going to be done, and Satan will be out of our hair for the rest of eternity. And then the ninth event that will take place is the great white throne of judgment. The great white throne of judgment. And this is where everyone who has rejected Jesus from the beginning of time, whether dead or alive, will stand before the court of God and have to give an account for their life if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, thankfully, this court, you don't have to stand um, accountable for. You don't have to experience this judgment. Then the 10th event that will take place is eternity. Eternity. That's what the last two chapters of the book of Revelation are about. It just talks about eternity. You're going to live forever. And let me remind you, folks, you're not a human being who's trying to have a spiritual experience. You're a spiritual being, and this is simply a temporary human experience that you are having. You are meant to live forever. And the Bible describes that God's going to remake the heavens and the earth. There's going to be a new heaven and there's going to be a new earth. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be incredible. It's the remaking of the Garden of Eden. 
What God intended right from the beginning when he created an Adam, it's going to be the remaking of that. And the Bible describes it's going to be so much so that the lion and the lamb will actually be able to lie next to each other. That's how, how much peace, that even in the animal kingdom, there will be peace. Now, I've just reduced the book of Revelation, the last six chapters of Daniel, into these last few moments, all right? Everybody still with me here? But when you think about this, it's kind of fun to talk about this. It's kind of fun. I don't know whether you like it or not, but people tend to kind of get off on this sort of thing and try, try to speculate how all this is going to work and study all these type of things. I probably spend way too much time looking in the details of this. But the real value of this and the most important question in all this is how does this change my life? How does this affect me? How does this change how I live? In Daniel chapter 12, Daniel basically says, there are some of these things that I understand, and there's some of these things I don't have a clue what this is all about. How many of you know exactly what he's talking about here? That's what he describes here. Look at this in Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. Now, Michael is the archangel of God in charge of war and answering prayers. There will be a time of distress such as not happened from the beginning of nations until then. This is those last seven years, the tribulation. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, if you're taking notes, underline the words, the book. Daniel's describing what the book of Revelation describes as the Lamb's, as, as the Lamb's book of life. This is where every person's name who's given their life to Jesus is written down. If your name is written down in there, that is your ticket into heaven. But at that time, everyone whose name is found written in the book will be delivered. This is why some people believe in the rapture and that the rapture will take place before the tribulation. Verse 2, multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth, so those who have already died from the beginning of time to that point, multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. This is the great white throne of judgment. Verse 3, those who are wise... Now, here is where I want to appeal to you this morning, because God says that those who are wise, those who figure this out, not from the point of getting all your charts figured out about the future, but those who learn to apply this to their lives, those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens. In other words, they will be like light in the midst of a very, very dark world. And those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. God says, I want there to be a generation who get it, who will be able to lead many to righteousness. And this is why I love the missional aspect of who we are as a church. Because we as a church, we exist for those who are not yet here. We exist for this area, for, for, this, for, for this region, for those who do not yet know who Jesus is. And our mission is to be able to share, to be able to bring many to the Lord so they can know for themselves who Jesus is. There needs to be a generation that's going to shine bright and bring many to righteousness. Verse 4, but you, Daniel, roll up and seal the words of the scroll until the end of time. And then he says, this is what the end is going to be marked by. Many will go here and there to increase knowledge. In other words, people are going to be traveling everywhere, going here and there. When you think about history, <laughs> this sure does mark our day and age. 150 years ago, the furthest people would travel was about 30 miles. That's why when you travel almost in any state here in the United States, about every 30 miles, there's a town. 
And the reason is because that's as far as they could go, and then they would need to set up shop and take care of things before they could move on. It took, you could only travel about 30 miles a day. Today, you can go almost anywhere, almost anywhere. I could leave church right after the service, get on a plane, and in 15 hours, I could be in Shanghai. We are definitely a a generation that's defined by this being able to travel here and there. In addition, knowledge is increasing in dramatic rates. Scientists describe that it took two, about from the beginning of time to about 200 years ago for knowledge, all that, not all that existed in knowledge, it took that amount of time for knowledge to double. So from the beginning of time to about 200 years ago, it took that much time for all knowledge that existed to double. Then from that point, it took only 50 years for knowledge to double. And then from that point, it only took 30 years for all knowledge to double. Today, scientists believe that knowledge is doubling at a rate of 15 to 18 months. Every 15 to 18 months, all the knowledge that existed is doubling. I remember hearing quotes after World War II by different scientists and different philosophers saying that everything that has been created and invented is done. We've created everything. We've invented everything. There's nothing more to invent. Think about what's happened in this last hundred years. Amazing stuff. And it's just continuing to be doubled at an incredible rate. We're definitely living in this end-time generation. Then I love what Daniel says in verse 8. I heard, but I did not understand. Some of you men who are husbands, you need to put this on your refrigerator as your life verse. I hear you, but I don't think I understand. That needs to be your life verse. That's what Daniel said after seeing all these visions. I heard, but I did not understand. So I asked, my Lord, what will the outcome of all of this be? In other words, how is this going to end? Verse 9. He replied, go your way, Daniel, because the words are rolled up and sealed until the time of the end. Many will be purified, made spotless, and refined. You're taking notes, underline the word many. And let me give you one more statistic for our generation. More people have come to Christ in the years 2006 to 2016 from the entire point of Jesus until 2006. More people have come to Christ in 2006 to 2016 than the entire time between Jesus and 2006. We are definitely a part of this harvest generation. It's being fulfilled right before our eyes. But the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand. In other words, a slippery slope of decay and deception will just increase, increase. And those people that slide down, it, they're not going to understand. So they're just going to scoff at you. They're just going to mock you. But those who are wise will understand. And this is what I'm pleading with you here this morning, to be those who are wise, to be those who understand. Verse 11, from that time that the daily sacrifice is abolished, that's when the Antichrist will stop the sacrifices in the temple in Jerusalem, and the abomination that caused the desolation is set up. So that's when the Antichrist basically set himself up as God, create this image of himself, and force people to worship him. From that point, there will be 1,290 days. Blessed is the one who waits for and reaches the end of the 1,335 days. That's the part of the last of the three and a half years of the seven years of tribulation. That last seven plus 45 days attached on to the end of that. That will be the worst of the worst of the worst of the worst of the tribulation. Verse 13. As for you, go your way till the end. You will rest, and then at the end of days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. And let me just say that 
If I've made you nervous in any sort of way, if I've made you afraid in any sort of way, that's not the purpose of biblical prophecy. The purpose of prophecy is to let you know you're on the winning side. That if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you should be the happiest person on the earth because you serve the maker of days. You serve the one who has the past, present, and future in his hands. And so that should give you confidence. That should give you boldness in the midst of things that are shifting all around you. So don't be nervous. Don't be afraid. Be wise. And here's the thing. If you're struggling with something here this morning, if there's things that are going on in your life that feels like are caving in on side of you, whether you're facing a family issue, whether you're facing a job situation, whether you're facing something something that's happening in, in your body, some sort of sickness or disease. Hang in there, folks. Hang in there. Stay steady because God has an incredible inheritance planned for you. And so let me just end here by giving you a little bit of wisdom. This is the conclusion I wanted to bring you to. No matter how you believe in the interpretation of these things, I want to give you a bit of, of wisdom here because Jesus in Matthew chapter 24 and the Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapters 4 and 5 in the beginning of part of 2 Thessalonians and the Apostle Peter in 2 Peter chapter 3, all of them talk about the end times and they all have come to the same conclusion. Number one, follow God, not culture. Follow God, not culture. 2 Peter 3, verse 10 says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. Did you hear what he's saying? In the midst of all these things that's taking place and culture shifting around you, live holy and godly lives. Now, holy doesn't mean perfect, folks. Holy doesn't mean perfect. Holy means separate. Don't be up in all that junk. In other words, you're in the world, but don't be of the world. You're in this culture, but don't let culture influence. And otherwise, you've got to set the culture. Don't reflect the culture. That's what he's saying. Culture changes. God doesn't. And so don't let culture change you. Culture is going to change more and more and more and more as we get farther along down this, down this line. And so are you going to change with it? Because if you find yourself changing with it, then you're not part of the wise. You're just being duped and enamored by all that culture has to offer. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let the word of God be your standard and follow God, not culture. Number two, be ready for Christ's return. Be ready. Be ready. 2 Peter 3 verse 12 says, as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. There are so many signs that are pointing to the possibility that we're the last generation. And because Jesus describes that he will come like a thief in the night, we need to be ready. We need to be ready. We don't know when he's coming, so we need to be ready. And that's why Jesus himself said, after giving all these different signs, he said in Matthew 24 verse 42, therefore keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. We need to be ready. You need to be ready. And I'm praying that the Holy Spirit is, is stirring in your heart, that we need to be ready. Some of you have slid with culture. Some of you are following culture more than you're following, following God. You've become enamored with the world and what the world has to offer instead of following Jesus. And let me just say, today is a great day to get ready. Today is a great day to get ready, to get yourself ready for Jesus' return. And the number three, make the most of this life. Make the most of this life. Ephesians 5, verse 15 says, Be careful. 
Very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Folks, we are so blessed. Come on. Aren't we? We are so blessed. We're living in the greatest generation ever. We're living in the greatest nation. We're living in the most prosperous time in all of history. We are blessed. But let me remind you, this life is not about this life. This life's not about this life. It's, that's, there's more to this. The fact that you and I, we have all, I mean, that's, that's bonus. That's fantastic. It's, it's icing on the cake. But this life is not about this life. Second Peter 3 verse 13 says, but in keeping with this promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. This life is about making the biggest difference in this life for that life. Where I'm living this life for that life. To get as many into heaven with me as possible. There's only one thing you can take with, into, into heaven with you. There's only one thing. It's not your car. It's not your house. It's not your possessions. The only thing you can take into heaven with you are people. That's it. And so we need to be a part of the generation that are letting our light shine in this area, in this, in this Lake Travis area, in this, in, this, in this region that we live in, that we need to be those who are bringing many to righteousness. God has strategically placed you and me in this generation. Of all generations of history, he's chosen that you would be a part of this generation. He handpicked you for this generation. And you and I, we're a part of those that God put to put right here in the Lake Travis area. There's a purpose. There's a reason for it. I want to ask you to just close your eyes here, if you would, please. As we're finishing here. Because I want to just let this kind of settle a little bit in your heart. You know, there's about 300 or more prophecies that were foretelling the coming of Jesus. And every one of those prophecies came true. Every single one of them. There are over 1,500 prophecies about Jesus' second coming. And let me just say, if all the prophecies that were spoken in God's word have already come true to this point in history, don't you think the rest of them are going to come true as well? That's where your confidence should lie. That's where, that's where you should let just God begin to just put this steadiness in your spirit because he is the maker of days. He holds the past, the present, and the future in his hands. It's not something that you have to be worried about or fearful of because he has your life in his hands as well. Maybe this morning you're realizing that you're not ready. Maybe you've never really given your life to Jesus. Maybe you've never really decided to follow God. Or maybe... You found yourself being absorbed in this culture. If we were to sit down and have a conversation, that's probably, maybe that's how you describe your life. You've been duped. You've been enamored by this culture, and you've been kind of on the slide, just going where culture is heading, kind of just going along with everyone else. Or maybe this morning, you're confident that your name's written in the Lamb's book of life. You realize, though, that you haven't been living for that life. You've been, maybe you realize this morning, you've gotten caught up with this life and just what's happening. And, and maybe it's because things around you is falling apart. And, but maybe here this morning, maybe you need to let God just stir your heart again and recognize it's not about this day. It's about that day. And being a part of a generation here at this time 
that's helping getting ready for eternity. I want to pray with you here this morning. And I want to ask you just to kind of pray this out loud. If you just pray this out loud with me, say, God, say it out loud. Say, God, today, I choose you. I choose to follow you and not follow culture. I choose to find my identity in you. And I shake myself free from all of those names that the world around me has tried to put on me. And I shake myself free from those chains that have tried to make me a convictionless person. And I shake myself free from this culture that's trying to claim me as one of their own. And so today, I commit my life to you. God, you said that anyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. So I'm calling on you. And I believe that you sent Jesus to die for my sins, to take my place. And I believe that you raised him from the dead. And so now I'm asking that you raise me up, that you would fill me up with your spirit. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would help me invest in other people's lives. Help me to stop living for myself and help me to make a difference in my sphere of influence. Help me to not just live for this day, but to live for that day. Help me to not be deceived by what is happening all around me. Let your truth reign in my life. Thank you, Father, for saving me. Thank you for putting my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. And so I decide today to follow Jesus. No turning back. In Jesus' name. Would you stand to your feet, would you please? And I'm going to ask the team just to lead us in this last song. And I want you to just kind of use it as your anthem, as you're saying, okay, God, this is how I'm going to live my life. For the sake of the cause that you have, that my life is bigger than just what's happening here today. There's a bit of eternity that my life's apart. Come on, let's sing this here together.
Father, that is our prayer here this morning. Father, in the midst of all these things that are shifting around us, the Father, that our anchor to our soul would be in you and that we wouldn't just live our lives for this day, but we'd live our life for that day. That we can bring as many people to that party that you have planned for us. That we look forward to that new heaven and that new earth that you're going to make. But while we're here, we're going to make the most of this time, making a great difference for eternity. We're going to have people that are down front here this morning that are just here to pray with you. Because I think so much that happens in life is to get us distracted that all we can think about is right, what's right in front of us. You're just consumed with what's going on in your body, you're consumed with what's happening at work, you're consumed with what's happening in your relationships, that you can't even think about eternity. And so this is why we need family. This is why we need each other. And these people are going to stand with you. They want to pray with you and just make themselves available. Whatever's going in your life, please don't leave. There's something going on in your life that's distracting you or consuming you. Let somebody come beside you and pray for God's intervention there in that situation. All right? Don't be nervous, everyone. Don't be afraid. The God that we serve is the maker of days. He has the past, the present, and future in his hand. That's where your confidence lies. He knows exactly what's going on in your life. Let me just bless you as we leave here. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift his countenance upon you and now give you peace. Go in peace, everyone. Have a great, great week. We'll see you next week.